Well, hello again and welcome back. Thanks so much for always checking in with us. And of course, give us a rating review. We want to hear from you. Of course, it doesn't have to be five stars. We just want to know what you're thinking, what we can do better, what more we can bring you. But we're super excited for today's show. We have Brittany Melville, Director of Marketing Sales at Next Generation. Hey, Brittany, how you doing? Good. How's everybody doing today? <laughs> doing great. Doing great. And so Brittany applies her extensive experience in direct sales, marketing, and customer relations management at Next Generation. And in her role, she develops and oversees the implementation of our marketing strategy across all media and works with the team to support sales initiatives. Her accomplishments throughout the years include designing and executing lead generation strategies across multiple channels, developing and nurturing multi-million dollar sales pipeline, and enhancing digital marketing outreach, creating educational content, conducting marketing competitive analysis, and training sales and personal development, improving internal processes to the support team. You are busy. (laughs) That's what we got from that right there. So (laughs) I gave you what's happening with Brittany, but Brittany, tell me more about the company. What is the company's focus and what are you guys working on today? Sure. Um, So just as a quick kind of 40,000 foot view for anybody that's not familiar with Next Generation, the company is in the financial services category, but obviously today we're also going to talk about how that relates to real estate. Uh, The company's primarily focused on providing custodial and administrative services for self-directed IRAs. Uh, We've been in that business for 15 years now. We are a women-owned business based in Roseland, New Jersey. Uh, one of the exciting things that we achieved a couple years ago was getting our trust charter, uh, meaning that prior to having that distinction, we were just providing administrative services for self-directed IRAs, but we didn't have the ability to actually custody the plans and actually hold them under next generation. So we had to use an outside company to do that. So after going through this, this long application process uh, to get a trust charter, which basically made us a trust company, in the summer of 2017, we now have all the services in-house under the next generation umbrella. So obviously, for you know, that equates to uh, more streamlined customer service, a better experience for investors. We're only talking to next generation. So that was a big thing. That was a big milestone for our founder and CEO as well as the company. Uh, and what we're what we're looking to do, kind of moving forward in the next years here, is I think expand our touch points from an educational standpoint. So traditionally, when we talk about self-directed IRAs, a lot of people, a lot of people don't even know what they are, and we'll probably talk today a little bit about that and give you some background and help you understand conceptually what makes them a little bit different than your typical IRAs that you might know about. But in this space, traditionally, um, it was sort of reserved for like a lot of sophisticated, high net worth investors. Um, so there were some different. Um, kind of target markets that weren't really reached. And I think today that's opening up. So what we're trying to do um, with the baby boomer population aging out and retiring, we're looking to the newer generations, no pun intended, (laughs) millennials in particular, to educate them about this strategy. And we're trying to grow sort of our investor base in the millennial sector, as well as female investors. Uh, traditionally, a lot of women tend to be hesitant to make their own investment decisions, and we just want to educate them so that they feel more confident and understand this is a strategy that they can successfully employ as well. So those are two areas uh, that we're really focused on from, a t- you know, reaching from an educational standpoint, and then obviously, you know, doing everything more digitally, um, just as everyone is, embracing more technology to make the, the user experience a little better too. 
Yeah. And, and so how I first came involved in this is we were actually in process of, of doing a syndication, one of our, our, actually our first one. And one of the investors asked me, well, can he use his IRA? He was with a self-direct company. And that was the first aha moment that I, I understood that there was other ability where you could allow investors to participate through the retirement account, which was just a huge eye opener. We've actually had a good amount of investors do that same process. So give us just the, the quick, easy version here of that if someone has an IRA with their company, how is that different from having a subdirect IRA? Yep. So the traditional IRA that most people are familiar with is held with a, you know, a brokerage firm or um, a bank that will allow them to invest in the stock market, right? So most people think my IRA is, can only be invested in stocks and bonds and mutual funds or other public securities, right? Um, Self-directed IRAs allow you to actually open up the allowable investments that you can hold within your retirement plan. So you're not just limited to the stock market. You can invest in things that are not publicly traded. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. Like the syndication, for example, you probably didn't even think about it until someone brought it up that, hey, that's actually something an IRA can invest in. Um, it's not on the open market. It's a private investment but it is something that can technically be held in a retirement account. So the biggest difference with the self-directed is the, the types of things that you're able to invest in, uh, the ability to have more control over your returns by having more decision-making power, right? Because it's self-directed, you seek out your own investments. If you have experience in some of these areas like real estate and you're already doing them, then you can apply the skills that you have in those areas to putting them into your IRA. So if you know you're getting a good return on these types of deals, you can potentially get that same return in your retirement account. And then of course, the other benefit is that those returns are gonna be tax protected. So if you use your personal funds, you're responsible for reporting that taxable income in the year that you earn it. When you're using a retirement plan and you gain those earnings, they go back into your plan and they grow the value, which you can defer from a tax perspective over years until you decide to retire. Or if you have a Roth account, you can actually uh, accumulate earnings that are tax-free, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> so Now, now does every sense. company offer this? Because I actually, and I'll ask this knowing the answer, but I, I had a friend saying, oh yeah, my, my provider said they, they do self-direct as well, but what they actually meant is they could self-direct in anything that they offer. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good question because the term self-directed is used loosely sometimes and it's used to mean different things. So when we say, when a Fidelity or a Schwab tells you that they have a self-directed option, um, it's that, like you said, you know, you can, you can direct them to invest in something that's on their platform and you're making your own decisions as far as how you're allocating your portfolio. Mm -hmm. But with a truly self-directed account, you are literally making every single decision and you have pretty much the world is your oyster as far as different things that you can invest in. So you really aren't limited to anything that's on a platform, for example. Uh, to clarify, we're not, we're not financial advisors, so that's one of the big differences. So it's not that if you were to open a, a self-directed IRA with a self-directed custodian that you would have to choose their investments because they don't actually have investment options that they sell, which is nice because they're more neutral in the sense that they're letting you make those decisions and then they're focused on making sure that they do all the proper reporting, all the, all the, the right record keeping, that they're providing you the education that you need to do this successfully and that you understand the rules and the regulations. 
But if you were to ask a fidelity, if you could hold real estate in your IRA, they're going to tell you that they don't offer that. Mm -hmm. So typically if you're looking to do these types of self-directed like real estate or private equity investments, you have to go to a specialized firm in order to have that set up. Yeah. And ask the question because I've actually heard some of the bigger players say, no, you can't do that. Meaning for the, almost generalizing it like it was the entire industry when someone asked if they could use their self-direct right. self into real estate. So continue to ask the questions and Brittany's here to really give you those answers about. So why in terms of the self-direct IRA, is there, is there a number of companies who offer this or it's a, cause it seems to be a very select field. And what would be some of the things that you want to look for in a proficient self-direct IRA company to work with? Yeah, that's a good question. So there are a number of companies across the country that do offer this service. Uh, we're the only one in New Jersey that's headquartered here. Uh, and probably, and there are probably a couple other ones in the Mid-Atlantic or Northeast region, but we're probably the larger one in this geographic area. Um, however, uh, I would say that if you are looking and you're doing your research, that some of the things that are important when you're looking for a self-directed custodian are maybe different than what you would look for in like a brokerage because for a brokerage account uh, because you're self-directing and you're making your own decisions you really need to work more closely with the custodian in order to guide you through the processes and make sure that you're doing everything correctly so it's not like a situation where you're going to go online and you can trade with the click of a button right it's very much more personalized and more customized so that means that your customer service has to be more personalized and customized, which means that if you're calling the office to ask your custodian for assistance, you wanna make sure that one, you're get, able to get in touch with someone quickly, that you're not you know, on hold for 30 minutes or getting put in a voicemail queue, because a lot of times these investments are time sensitive, so you wanna make sure that you can get easy access to a person that can help you. Of course, you wanna make sure then that the staff is knowledgeable about the rules and regulations so that if you're not sure of something, they're able to either tell you the answer, answer or guide you in the right direction to get you that answer. Um, and responsiveness, of course, is important too. So if you send an email to a point of contact in that organization, uh, you want to make sure that they're responding like within a business day and they're not sitting on your, you know, your request so that you're getting you know, answers quickly. So that part is important. Um, I would also say access to educational resources is important. You want to make sure that that custodian is offering you regular um, opportunities to educate yourself. The regulations don't change as much as probably some of the other ones that uh, we see in the financial industry, but there are certain rules and responsibilities as a self-directed investor that you have to understand. So you do want to make sure that you're kind of on the up and up with the most current news. And a custodian should give you opportunities to get that, whether it's through like a newsletter or you go to their website and you can download the information or they're giving you on-demand access to videos. So that sort of thing is what you want as well. I would say because people tend to, and I can't blame them, uh, look at fees first before anything and then try to use that as their single driving factor to choose a custodian. I would say that fees are important. Of course, you don't want to be paying exorbitant fees for service, but you also want to weigh that against the quality of the customer service that you're going to get because that's so important. And sometimes it can make or break an investment that you're working on. You just want to make sure that you're considering more than just that. It is important and it should be a factor, but it shouldn't be hundred percent of the weight when you're making that decision. Yeah. And that's great. And honestly, 
from an operator standpoint, when I have an investor who's going to bring in funds through a self-direct IRA company, I know very quickly how easy or how seamless the process is going to go based on the provider that they're working with. And so working with Brittany and Action, I know they're going to have a fluent process, which is, again, when we're the operator, we have a timeline that's going to keep up. So I know that if, it's, if this is not if someone's opening up an account, it doesn't happen one, two, three, like yesterday. So there has to be a process where everybody's on board right. because this could take a couple of weeks, depending on, on the narrative right. here to set this up. So you can use that investment and highly resourceful. You can talk about, you know, the, the trillions of dollars that are in retirements accounts. And it's, it's a point where people have no control versus having control. However, to take note here is that uh, Brittany and next generation, they're not going to analyze your property and make sure that's doing it. that. That's going to be your responsibility to go in there and make sure you're sizing it up. And if you're choosing this route, you should be in a sophisticated format where you're deemed that you are going to be making choices. However, Brittany, give us the, the, the open opportunities that a self-direct IRA opens you up to for what you can invest in and what you can't invest in. Sure. So at a very basic level, the IRS, um, oversees all of this. So the governing bodies are the IRS and the Department of Labor that set the rules and the guidelines as far as what you can and can't do. So if a custodian is telling you that you're, there's an investment you can't do, it's not because they're deciding that you can, it's because the IRS and those rules say that you can. And that's in you know the IRS publications that, that are out there that, that dive into all of this very specifically. Um, however, the IRS, when it comes to the types of assets or types of investments that you can hold in a self-directed IRA, mm -hmm. they, they really only tell you what you can't hold and what you can't invest in. So it's sort of like if you think, if you work backwards, you can sort of figure out logically whether what you're looking to do is, is viable. So the two things at a high level that they do not allow you to invest in with an IRA are life insurance and then collectibles, which would be like any antiques. So if you had like an old baseball card collection or old stamps, like anything that you might hold on to that would accumulate value over time like that, they wouldn't allow that. But outside of that, if you think of anything that isn't publicly traded, um, I'll give you some examples and then people get really creative too. So you can kind of, that's what's nice about it because you can sort of like open up the boundaries that you probably had set in your mind in terms of what you thought you could do. And then, of course, there are additional rules and regulations as far as who you can invest with and who you can't and different sorts of relationships with your IRA. Sure. But, for example, uh, real estate, which is a topic of interest, of course, for today's session, is probably the most popular asset class when we look at self-directed IRAs. So, you know, real estate, it's something that people understand, they're familiar with, everybody <laughs> has it. So uh, the ability to purchase real estate and either you know, fix and flip a property or buy raw land and then have it developed or buy and hold a property and then get that cash flow from rental income into your IRA, those are really common things that we see. Uh, private equity is probably the next largest category from the standpoint of investing in private companies. So whether you decide you want to form a new LLC and then you want to invest in it with some partners, uh, form a joint venture, or you know of a like tech startup that you feel very strongly about, or maybe your buddy owns it and you want to invest in that, you could do that as well. So if it's a private company, it doesn't have to be real estate. It could be anything. Uh, so we've seen a lot of interest in the kind of social and impact investing side as well. Uh, where people are starting to get into wanting to support 
like energy conservation, um, you know, social causes that are important to them. So that's a big one. And then the other biggest one I would say is lending from a, from the standpoint of an IRA, uh, a lot of people don't realize that they can use their IRA sort of like a private lender. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be more passive in nature with your investment, maybe you don't want to purchase property and manage all that through the IRA, but you just want to do something a little bit simpler, you can use your IRA to lend funds to another borrower, as long as the IRS does not consider them a person that's restricted from investing with you. That's something we can talk about today if there's time for it, but there's also a lot more education we can yeah, provide on that. I would love that we, we share some educational links at the end because the, the two things sure. to note here is uh, on a high level, who they can't invest with, and then yep. also talking passive versus active in terms of their investments. If we could just cover those two topics, I think that'd be very, at least on a high level, be very beneficial to the listeners because this is okay. a great thing to use, but there's certain things that are red flags you can't do right away. Correct. So the first one was who you can't invest with, right? Correct. So the IRS has developed a list of what they consider to be disqualified persons from someone else's self-directed IRA. So if you imagine in this case that you have a self-directed IRA and you're the owner of the retirement account, uh, the disqualified persons that wouldn't be allowed to do a direct transaction with your IRA would be your spouse, uh, your children, and pretty much any ascendants or descendants and their spouses. So if you look at your family lineage and if you look at it in a lineal fashion up and down, uh, any of those family members or their spouses are considered disqualified from investing with your IRA, which means that they're not allowed to do it. And if you were to do that, the IRS would consider it a prohibited transaction and there are consequences to that. So you definitely don't want to go there. Yeah. Of course, if you were not sure, you would certainly want to discuss any scenarios with your custodian before you, you know, get into it. Um, so primarily it's those relationships that you want to, you want to stay away from when you're doing these types of investments. And I think the general, the general rule and conceptually like what this is designed for is to be more of an arm's length transaction where you're not personally benefiting right now from the investment. The IRA is benefiting. You're making the decisions and you can definitely make like management decisions as far as how you want to handle the investment. But the, the person or the entity that should really be benefiting from a financial perspective is the IRA. So, um, you know, people ask a lot of times, like, can I purchase a rental property with my IRA and then can I live in it? Um, that's an example of something that would be prohibited by the IRS. You can't personally live in it because um, you're also, you yourself are considered disqualified from your own IRA, as well as those family members that I mentioned. So you, you really have to just look at high level, you have to look at who's involved in the transaction, what's the relationship to you, and if anyone's benefiting from the transaction, what's the relationship and are they considered to be any of those disqualified persons? Understood, and in terms of the active versus passive side, so what, if, if you were to take on a project from someone put together a syndication of bringing in investors versus to being buying a house to flip for yourself. Right. Um, I mean, either of them are options. Um, if you're going to, um, if you're, if you're taking on a syndication and you're looking for investors, um, in, in that case, just to confirm, are you, are you talking about a situation where you'd be looking for IRAs to invest with you? 
Or so if you were buying an apartment building yourself and had a self-directed IRA, could you invest in your own uh, apartment building or could you invest Absolutely. in your own, which is, would be a longer term hold oh, versus, yeah. versus doing a short term project like a flip? What, what is, is there any uh, parameters or parameters that you can't go in in terms, we'll just keep it real. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So when we're talking about real estate and, and like an active real estate investment, like a flip, as you said, um, obviously that's a lot more involved in terms of some of the transactions that are going to be taking place because if you're doing a rehab and you're, you know, you're doing repairs or renovations, there are going to be some costs involved with that. There's going to be work in, involved with that. Uh, one of the things that you're not able to do, that the IRS doesn't allow, if you own a property with your IRA and you're doing something like that, is they don't allow you to perform sweat equity yourself. So if you are doing a flip, you're not able to go in and physically do those repairs yourself if your IRA owns that property. And my guess is that the reason behind that is it's sort of like contributing value to your IRA's investment hmm. personally, right? So basically what they say is that you can't perform sweat equity, but of course you can pay contractors to do the work. You can really pay anybody that's not a disqualified person to do that work and that would be perfectly fine. So you just need to keep that in mind when you're getting into these types of projects. A lot of times, if for real estate investors that have a lot of experience and might have lots of properties, they probably don't want to do that anyway because they probably have a network of resources and contractors that they're using anyway. So that's that probably wouldn't be an issue for them because they may not want to do sweat equity as it is. However, if you're someone that's used to doing your own work or maybe you own, like a good example is, you might own a, a, a construction company or a development company and you want to do that using your own LLC. Because you own that LLC, you're not able to provide those services to your IRA's investment. So when it comes to the IRA, you have to keep that, that distance. And those are fabulous points. So remember here, there's a few things that are going to be restrictions here, right? So you have to take those into account, especially you have the, a good provider, a good custodian, like uh, it's for next generation, it's going to be able to give you great guidance because the, the penalties can be harsh. I think um, they can, I, I, I'm probably saying the terms wrong, but void out your retirement account and, and give you fees, the IRS, if, they, if you're really um, yeah. taking that step over the line. So you have to yeah. be very careful, speak to the right people. And so Brittany, this has been great. Thank you so much. Sure. Uh, tell us where we connect with your company of course uh where they can find more any uh the educational information that's available that they can dive deeper into some of these areas that we touched on today and best way to reach out for you definitely so the first touch point i would suggest is the website uh, we actually just completely redesigned our website about a month or two ago so uh there's a lot of good stuff on there it's nextgenerationtrust.com uh, from there, what you can do is you can access tons of educational content. If you'd like to su subscribe to receive content, there's a newsletter. Uh, there are white papers on various topics that you can download. Uh, we have a webinar library and you can download and access any of those on demand through YouTube. So you don't even have to get in touch with anybody if you're just at a point where you kind of want to kind of fact find first and gather more information. You can sort of self-serve through that learning experience through the website. But if you would prefer to have a phone conversation with somebody, or let's say you have more specific questions, we do have a live chat feature on the website as well. Uh, and you can submit an inquiry through a contact form that will go directly to my team. So somebody will respond to you within a day. 
Um, you can obviously call the office if you would rather just call in, that's perfectly fine. That phone number is on the website as well. So that's really your best place to start. Uh, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, uh, I would just say call our office. Uh, we're, we're sort of like a boutique uh, model here, so we're not a huge organization. So if you call anyone and ask for me, they know who I am and they can, they can connect you with me. Um, and yeah, so I would say call the main number and ask for me and you can find me on all social media and our, our companies on all social as well. If you'd like to follow along. Well, Brittany, thank you so much. And really just been great. Really appreciate your time today. And so for Thanks. everybody listening, super valuable here. You can use this on many points. One, to help you help your retirement accounts, but two, to help other investors be more involved because they're not aware of this subject and getting yourself, if you are being an operator, to have the talk track that's affordable for you to be able to help other people. This is definitely one of the tools you need to have in your tool belts. Brittany, thanks so much for coming on. Awesome. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Hope it was helpful. Definitely was. All right. Bye now. Take care.